0: that time of the week again it's time for chit chat across the pond this is episode number 484 for april 30th 2017 and i'm your host allison sheridan this week our guest is bart Bou back with programming by stealth this time it's episode 34 of n we are cranking on this bart
1: we are but it's 34 of x
0: oh i'm sorry i'm sorry it was taming the terminal of n this is of x god should I redo the intro, do you think?
1: <laughs> I think we're Oh, okay. that is such an in joke. Um, <laughs> All right. What are we doing today, Bart? Well, today we are doing, we're continuing on with our discovery of QUnit, which is a unit testing based framework for JavaScript, which we are going to be using for our uh, test driven development approach to JavaScript from now on. So I
0: like QUnit, it's cool.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very fond of it, too, I have to say. I, I only learned it for the, point, for the purpose of doing this series, and I've fallen in love. Um, so, yeah, it's... <laughs> you using it for work now, to too, it. right? I will be next time work requires me to use JavaScript. Um, at the moment, work is requiring me to use Perl, so I, I'm using a different uh, test-driven development library. But nonetheless, yeah, I am doing test-driven development and work now. Excellent, excellent. So in the previous installment, we, we had a pretty good intro to how to use QUnit, and uh, we, wrote a little, we wrote a little dummy API. We went through the process of first you write your test, then you write your code, then you check your test, and so on and so forth. And so we, we went through the process with just little functions for doing factorials in the Fibonacci series, you know, good generic computer science stuff. And then I set you up fairly chunky assignment, although I did sort of say to people to do as much or as little of the assignment as they wanted, which is basically to retrofit a test suite to our pbs.date, time, and date time prototypes. Uh, And then what I... Well, what I'm not sure you will have noticed, but what I'm going to draw your attention to now is that everything we've done with QUnit has been JavaScript that's entirely generic, Right, It doesn't interact with the browser in any way. That same JavaScript would be just as as much at home inside a, a command line uh, script run with Node.js or inside a text expander snippet, which you can write in JavaScript, or inside an automator script that you can write with JavaScript. It would work anywhere. It's not browser-specific in any way. It's just vanilla JavaScript. Okay. But, of course, we we are on our way back to the browser here so we're we're going to be writing web apps ah. and we're going to be using javascript in our web apps so we need to test our web apps which means we do need to learn how to use qunit not only in the generic way but also to test javascript code that manipulates web pages ooh that manipulates so across the, the
0: beams into jquery
1: right we exactly we we got to... we got a, Learn a little bit more, and it's not much more, uh, QUnit, so that we can start to test browser code as well as just generic code. And of course, QUnit was written by the jQuery people, so of course it can do the browser stuff. It was literally designed to do the browser stuff. It's just that we started off simple. We started off with just the generic stuff. And today, we take that second step. Okay. All right. So I guess we'll start with my, with the a sample solution to the last month, last week's challenge. And basically, I don't expect anyone to have done all of it. Um, <laughs> then I succeeded, Bart. <laughs> yeah. Um, my basic thinking was that people the, people should do as much or as little as they felt was helpful. So when you got to the point that you're like, "I'm not learning anything new. I'm not getting any value out of continuing the repetition." I sort of assumed people would stop and that's perfectly fine that at that point you've done, you know, you've achieved what was hoped for, which is enough practice that you feel like, okay, yeah, I got it. That's that thing we learned in the abstract is now something I've done for real. So
0: I I, I told you this uh, offline, but I want to say to the audience too is that I got the hang of it and the, and the concept fairly quickly. What I found challenging actually was trying to remember how our functions actually worked and how to call them. Like, I, I totally cheated off your paper on the clone function. Uh, I, I I, know what it does. I know why it does it. I know how it does it. I know how to compare it. But I just, the syntax was just, I was just completely wrong. Um, I was also wrong initially in my syntax. And without some help from you, I couldn't have done it. So I, I do feel like I, you know, the cheese gets firmly on the cracker and then I look away and it's it's moved off of it again on me.
1: Right, which is also, of course, when we are continuing to practice our core Java skills, uh, JavaScript skills, as well as the QUnit stuff. So it's actually about both. It's about reinforcing both.
0: Yeah, and and it definitely did do that. And I, at first, I was like, ah, I'm not going to do the compare and the clone because, and then I'm like, yeah, but I don't remember how those work, so I probably should go back and run them again. There you go. I liked it. So, I, I, I I found it fascinating how often I would get like. Complete and utter failure. You've ruined your entire program. Oh, and you know, I've always made fun of your love of the ability to use Time Machine to go back into a file. I mm-hmm. totally use that because I'm just like, do it, save, do it, save, do it, save. And then all of a sudden I've got it all borked. I'm like, okay, wh- what did, uh, hey, Time Machine. <laughs> <laughs> rewind, Went rewind. back to yesterday because uh, apparently after a couple of glasses of wine, I wasn't as good at it as I thought. <laughs> huh. Imagine that.
1: <laughs> the thing is, your confidence would have gone up. Your ability would have gone down and your confidence would have oh, yeah, gone up. Oh, yeah, I was I was wailing on that thing. I was all over TDD. <laughs> so I, of course, couldn't possibly know which particular parts of these massive prototypes people would choose to do their small piece of. So I did do it all. Wow. I did absolutely all of it. Did you enjoy it? Uh, uh, for a while. Uh, <laughs> It did become tedious, I will admit. But on the other hand, I actually wanted to have a lot of practice under my belt before continuing to talk about it with with the audience. Because I don't generally feel comfortable as a teacher being only one chapter in the book ahead of the class, which is sort of where I am on this Q unit stuff. So I figured by doing all of that, I'm now two chapters ahead. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's and as I say, we're soon going to be back on much firmer ground because this installment is going to finish off our, basically our learning about QUnit from now on. We're just going to be using it. So we don't actually need to, know, to learn any more new stuff about it apart from what we're going to learn today, which is actually pretty good. So two installments and we know everything we need to know. And it hasn't, they haven't, you know, well, you, you've only experienced one of them, And I promise they're not too evil installments. They're just too regular installments. Yeah. So QUnit's actually a pretty nice framework. It's actually, it's not stressful to learn.
0: Right, right, right. I, I agree. It was. It, I, it took me a little while to get the hang of, okay, I've got an HTML file, I've got a test file, and then I've got my code file, and which one's which, and which one is where, and how mm-hmm. I call them. But once I, once I got that settled in, I was like, oh, okay, here's my three files. I know what they're doing. I did find yeah. I needed a bigger screen. I found it very difficult <laughs> you to can work never on never have this, enough screen real I'm
1: real just on my laptop. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing with programming in general. So it, I generally find, that, I mean, I am completely in love with 27 inch iMacs. And the reason is because I do a lot of programming and I need to be able to see a few code files at the same time because they all interact with each other. I need to be able to see my documentation. I probably need a finder window. I may well need an FTP window. And you just, screen real estate, you could never have enough screen real estate when you're programming. It's, it's just not possible. Yeah, there's, there's always always room for more. Anyway. So, rather than copying and pasting my very large solution into the show notes um basically they're in the zip file they're in a folder named p b s thirty three sample solution, and it's all there now I am, I am
0: going I'm gl- to i'm glad you did one thing uh and you and I started talking about this, but we didn't really ever finish the conversation now I understand we had um originally you had said qunit.test you know the name of whatever that test was going to be function parentheses assert and then assert dot whatever would you know like mm-hmm. assertexpect 3 and you had said you don't have to use assert you could do you could do a if you want and uh, what i didn't understand was i thought you were making them the same assert and assert so that you wouldn't forget what they did they really are the same thing so function parentheses yeah. a goes to a dot expect and I thought exactly. I thought it was always assert. Expect, but you had called the the you know the function on assert just to make it look mm-hmm. the same. It really is the same. So that, I'm glad you did it with the a. Does that make any sense?
1: Yes, and I, yeah, the reason I chose to do it with a is because I got fed up with typing assert. I was like, yeah, okay, I know what that is now. A. <laughs>
0: <Plus> <laughs> so yeah, my entire solution
1: uses a instead of assert. Okay. Um. So I am going to reference my solution repeatedly during the during the process of describing today's functionality because I did slightly cheat and I used some of the advanced features that I'm only telling you about now in my sample solution. Look at you, cheater. Um, So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is something which I'm not sure I said explicitly, but I, I just want to be really explicit about it. So a QUnit test suite is just an HTML page with some JavaScript and some CSS and some HTML in it. So anything we have learned, every single piece of JavaScript we know, every single piece of HTML we know, every single piece of CSS we know, we can use that within our test suites because there's nothing special going on here. It's just a web page with some HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Okay. So if we want to create some variables to make our lives easier, create some variables. If we want to create some functions, create some functions. All right. So... And so I I, I want to hammer that point home a bit. So, the first thing I just want to say actually is there's absolutely no reason that you have to put all of your tests into one file. When you end up with something as big as the test suite for pbs.date, time, and date time, one file would be an awful, awful lot of scrolling. So, I did it in four. And if you do it in four, all you have to do is put four script tags in to suck them all in. So, you will see my index.html is still very small. And I've highlighted in the show notes the four script tags where I suck in the four parts of my test suite. Oh,
0: okay. And all,
1: all that does is just make my life easier. So Oh, that I it like fits that. In. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because, I mean, I only did time and mm-hmm. it was getting pretty long just for
1: me. Exactly. So imagine how long it would have been if I'd had to put all of that into one massive file. It yeah. would have just drove me potty. So I split them up and then just suck them all in and it's all fine. So you
0: have one for time, one for date, and one for date time. What is the one that's just called test?
1: So the one that's just called test contains the very, very generic test like does the namespace exist? And it contains some helper variables and some helper functions I've written to make my test suite easier to write. And so that's really what I want to focus on now, because remember I said it's just a web page. So anything you can do in any other web page, you can do here. So the first thing is I made a variable for myself with the name dummy underscore data. And this is basically a data structure which contains a whole bunch of sample data that you just use over and over and over and over and over again. So it's just a plain object. So it has a bunch of name value pairs and each value is itself another bunch of name value pairs which contains a value and a description. So basically we say undef is a description undefined and a value undefined. bool has a description, a boolean and a value true. Number our num has a description, a number, and a value 42, and it continues on. Of course it's 42. <laughs> but and then generic script. String...
0: those, those are, so those are variables,
1: undef, bool, num? No, they're objects. Okay, so the variable dummy data is... A plain object which contains a plain object named undef and another one named bool. And each of those then contain name value. So it's all name value pairs, right? Right. So dummy data contains a name value pair where undef is the name and the value is itself a collection of name value pairs. And inside so there you have desk undefined, val undefined. So these are just objects. Just plain objects, which means that if you want to get at undefined, you could say, data.undef.disk will give you the word undefined. DummyData.Undef.Val gives you the value okay. undefined.
0: Okay. And I've been looking for where you, where you uh, used it. Here's an example in your uh, time test. You say uh, you've got a variable called must underscore throw, and it's dummy basic types except undef and num. So basically, and I'm sure you've defined that somewhere else. Okay.
1: So we'll That's watch a just... specific line of code later on, uh, shortly actually. So we have this collection of data types. And then I realized as I concerted to write that I was doing too much copying and pasting, which is always a bad sign, which is why these variables come into being, right? Because I'm, I'm showing them to you as if I knew this up front. No, I didn't know this <laughs> up front. Right? And no one ever develops the The order you write the code in is not the order it appears in in the file. Never. Or you're a
0: liar, (laughs) if you claim it's true.
1: Exactly. So you you start writing some tests, you find yourself doing a lot of copying and pasting, and you go to yourself, nope, this is A, this is going to drive me potty, and B, this isn't the best way to do it because I'm doing a lot of copying and pasting. So then you go and say, okay, how can I generalize this? And you create some variables, you stick in some loops, and then, you you know, larger, rinse, repeat. So I, I made my library of dummy data pretty early on in the process because in any sort of test, you're going to have, oh, I want I want to test something with a number, and I want to test something with a Boolean, and with a string, and with an object, and with an array, and with an array of objects. So you're always going to need dummy data. So that's kind of a very general thing to do. And so I built that up very early in the process. And then I realized that there were some data types were special. They were like really important because I was using them all the time. And so I made a second data structure called dummy basic types, which contains what are effectively one each of the, the, the most basic types JavaScript understands, which is undef, boole- or so undefined, boolean, number, string, array, object, and function.
0: So I don't really understand what that is. You're saying undef colon dummy data dot undef.
1: Right, so instead of recreating, instead of copying and pasting dummy data, I'm basically saying make a new variable named basic types, and inside basic types, make undefined be the same as undefined in dummy data. So I'm just saying, make that be the same as that. So, not in other words, not getting it at all. So what okay, is, so
0: du- is dummy underscore basic underscore types? Is it a variable? Is object? it is a new variable which is an object? So why doesn't it say um, var dummy basic types equals? Why does it just say dummy basic?
1: The, the var line is the, far li- the The variable is declared a little bit before. It's now becoming equal to something in this snippet. We'll, so we'll see the I'm var on line
0: 64.
1: Hmm. When you
0: see the Oh, var- okay, it's which way point. up at the very top. Okay. So you've created a variable called that, and you're making it becomes equal to...
1: Yeah, so undef inside basic dummy data becomes equal to dummy data In other words, undef inside dummy data. So we're just copying in Why? a subset. Well, because dummy data contains lots of data, and dummy basic types contains a subset of that data. Everything oh, in dummy that is in
0: everything. Yeah, Dummy exactly. basic it's, types is different than, than uh, dummy ty- uh, data. Okay, it's got it's fewer subset. things in it. Okay, okay, I yeah. got you.
1: Yeah. So All everything right. that's in dummy basic types is from the bigger set, but not everything in the bigger set is in the littler set. Okay. So it is a true subset. And then I wrote a function called dummy basic types except. And this will just return me the list of of names except for what I give it as an argument. So the reason the, where this would come into play is an hour should throw an error for every type except a number. Okay. So you, you see how I would be calling the basic types except all the time because that's actually how you would say it in English. Yeah, this, this this needs to throw an error for everything except for blah. And so this function is just going to return, in this case, it would return me undef bool strr object. <laughs> because it's everything except number.
0: So it's so dummy basic types except is the other subset.
1: What's going to return the names in the name value pairs for everything except what I give it as an argument. So I would say dummy basic types except num will give me everything except for num. Dummy basic types except str would give me everything except str.
0: Oh, okay. So it isn't the entire other subset. It's a subset of whatever... You're okay. It's looking at dummy basic types, which is a subset of your data. Uh, and it's and you tell it which ones to exclude from the dummy basic types list, and it returns everything else
1: precisely okay. or starts using everything else. I guess. Okay, it returns, in fact, the names and the name value pairs of everything else, and then we can use those inside a loop to do lots of checking for does it throw, does it throw, does it throw, does it throw. But instead of copying and pasting a dot throws, I just do a loop. And say that for every one of these. How, how does it later. only we grab to the name? Uh, because object.keys on line 18 there returns the name, the names in name value pairs. So dummy basic types is passed as an argument to object.keys.
0: Hang on. Uh, dummy basic types is not on li- line 18. Dummy data is line, on line 18.
1: Okay, so on line 18 of the function definition, so it starts off with a big comment that says purpose, to return the names of all dummy basic types.
0: We might not be looking at the same file.
1: No, we're not, which is why I'm saying on DBS. line 1 is...
0: Datetime.test.js.
1: Oh, Sorry, I'm looking in the show notes at the snippet the readers are looking at. Ah. it just
0: shows a piece. Okay. Uh, keeping going. Ah. Well, this will make way more sense if I'm looking at the same thing as you. Okay, so... Uh, now, let me see what we're reading. So you said object.keys. Wow, this is something completely different than what I was looking at.
1: Build the yeah. list so of types. object.keys type of dummy basic types will give back the string undef, the string bool, the string num, the string str, the string arr, the string obj, and the string fn as a great big array, because that's what object.keys does by definition. You haven't used it in a while, but we did learn about it.
0: Yeah, that just... Looks pretty okay. much gibberishy for me, I'm afraid.
1: Okay, well okay. So dummy dummy basic types contains name value pairs. Right. Object.keys gives you the names.
0: So keys and names are the same thing.
1: Keys and names are synonyms of each other, exactly.
0: Right. And then you say dot sort.
1: So in other words, we take the array of names and we sort them alphabetically, because I'm just that much of a perfectionist that I want them to come out in a sensible order.
0: Okay. That's all that's for. And then you say <laughs> dot for each. Function tn. What what the heck is tn?
1: Okay, so tn. We're declaring tn. So we are going to say that we will call the first argument tn. So tn is a type name in this case. Is my so for each the for each function will run. For each will run that function once for everything in the array. So the first time through, tn will be whatever alphabetically comes first. So bool. Okay. The second time through, it'll be whatever comes alphabetically next. Uh, probably fn. Okay. Actually, R will come first. That's before bool. So R, bool, FN. You get the idea.
0: Okay. And then it so, says, so, if not exclude lookup TN. Man, you love double negatives.
1: I, <laughs> I would use the word unless, but JavaScript doesn't let me do unless, so I have to use double negatives.
0: Okay, so, so I'm saying keys, not is one looking... of the
1: ones you told me to ignore, add it to the answer. So what's left afterwards is everything from the original that's not listed to be ignored.
0: Hmm. Why don't you just build something that built what was included instead of
1: not excluded? What if I decided after doing 20 hours of work that actually I should be testing for another data type? Add it. In 500 places?
0: No, in in this (laughs) function. you're, You're doing a function to figure out what's not excluded. Why didn't
1: you do a function for what is included? Okay, because when I call the function, I want to be able to say, give me everything that's n- except for numbers. Numbers are okay. Everything else should throw an error. But what is everything else? So I might change my mind on what everything else is. I don't know upfront front if I've been clever. I don't know if I've forgotten something. So by doing it this way around, I just add another name value pair into basic underscore types. And magically, my entire test suite becomes aware of that. Hmm. So I've basically written the code in such a way that if I mess up, I don't make my life terrible. And I have much experience of my messing up over the years.
0: Okay, I'm just going to have to believe you that this double negative works, but it it hurts my head. So (laughs) I believe you.
1: uh, There's a lot of negatives going on, but I I do comment a lot because of that. Okay. So where this comes into play, let's look at a practical example. And this same structure is repeated over and over again. So PBS.time requires that hours meet certain criteria you cannot say that a time has the hours snot or that the a time has the hours minus pi or that a time has the hours new error or that you know you get the idea for something to be a valid hour it needs to be an integer number that is between 0 and 23 inclusive yes right, right. so we need to test that everything that's not one of those genuinely does throw an error And whether we specify those hours in the constructor or using the accessor function, we really do want the same behavior. So if it's not possible to set hours to minus 42 in the constructor, it should also not be possible to set hours minus 42 through the dot hours accessor function. So rather than writing the same test twice, I wrote one test that checks it both ways. So regardless of how you try to put an hour into the prototype, I'm just testing it in one test. So with yeah, this one test sense. we'll check the error. Sure. Yeah. Cuz otherwise you have two places to scroll between when you remember you've forgotten something. So this way it's together in your code. So when you for, when you realize you forgot a test you have to put it back into one place. So the structure of this fu- of the, of this validation function is as follows. The first thing it's going to do is it's going to check that an error is thrown for each of the basic types except for number and undefined because undefined is allowed because that just means use the default value of 0.
0: Right, right. I remember we had that. Okay.
1: So if it's a string throw an error, if it's any basically anything apart from number and undefined should throw an error. So we have got to test that. And then we test that okay, so we're left with numbers, but not all numbers are valid. So then we got to make sure that decimal numbers throw an error. Oh, hang on. And I every-
0: think I just figured out what you were saying uh, on the double negative problem. Because because in your test, you're going to say dummy basic types, except undefined and numbered. Now, mm-hmm. no matter what you add over on the other side, these are still the only two that you want to test or that you don't want to test for. Bingo. that's now, it But exactly. you might you might create something that you don't want to test for. There might be a third Find thing. It.
1: Okay, but that's very unlikely, actually, because I already right. know what an what an hour is. Sure, so sure. If an hour is a the, number. It's much
0: more likely you're going to come up with other basic types than that you do need to test for than the other way around. Precisely. Okay, Precisely. I'm with you. Finally, caught up. Oh, that's a, that's the value of a practical example, right? Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about decimals. Okay, so,
1: yeah, so basically the basic structure is, so first we make sure that it throws an error on all the big stuff, but then we're left with all possible numbers. Well, we've got, still got some more tests. We've got to make sure it throws an error on decimals, and then we've got to make sure it throws an error on, like, minus 1, and then we've got to make sure it throws an error on, like, 24, and then we've got to make sure it doesn't throw an error on 0 to 23. Yep. And then we're done. Okay. So that's our basic structure. So the code here follows that basic big picture. So the first thing it does is make sure all basic types except numbers and undefined throw an error. So var must throw equals dummy basic types except undef common num. Mm-hmm. Now, normally the first line of our test is our a.expect to tell QUnit how many tests are coming. But we can't do that first because we don't know how many dummy basic types we've got to test for.
0: Oh, I got so tired of changing that number. That seemed like the <laughs> biggest waste of time I had was like, okay, Change it three.
1: Change it to four. Change it to five. It's still good to change it, though. But in this case, we actually can't even make an educated guess until we know how many things must throw. So I say var must throw equals get the list. And then I say a that expect must throw dot length times two plus ten. So the times two is because inside our loop we have two asserts. Therefore, for every one returned, we do two things. So two times the length of the array, and then we have ten tests that come after the loop. So the length of the array times two plus ten is how many tests there oh, are going okay. to be. Okay,
0: so you already knew how many tests you were going to have there.
1: Okay. Well, that number was that 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 line was changed many times. Okay. But it has to contain must throw dot length because otherwise it's it's always going to be wrong, right? So that's why it's yeah. happening second because first we see how many and then we do the multiplication. Okay. So must throw dot for each. So we loop through everything that should throw an error. And we do an a dot throws. And because we have dot val and dot desk, we can actually put sane messages. So we can say var t equals new pbs dot time basic type dot val.
0: Wait, where did val come from?
1: It, right back when we defined our our big data structure. Each of them has a desk of something and a val of something. Okay. So, desk, okay. A number right. val 42, desk and empty string val. Okay, there you go. String. Got
0: it. Okay, caught up. All right. Okay.
1: So, we simply, we, in our A.throws, we try to do the thing that is supposed to throw an error. And then we have our little English constructor does not allow ours to be. And then we concatenate the string basic type.desk. In other words, that Englishy description. And so the output is going to be something sane and sensible. Right. So in fact, there's a screenshot of the output in the show notes, which shows that what you get is constructor does not allow hours to be an array. Accessor.hours does not allow hours to be an array. Constructor does not allow hours to be a Boolean.
0: Accessor.hours
1: does not allow hours to be a Boolean. And so it's nice and Englishy, even though it's entirely automatic and done by a loop. That's very cool.
0: I, I had one question, and maybe this is too detail oriented, but I had originally said type error, because type error is what we identified, but it failed on that, and I had to change it to error in my tests.
1: That I think is because you actually had some typos in your code in that was inside the throws. Mm. Remember, you were you were calling you no, were the calling last the no no
0: no. After I fixed that, oh, after okay. I fixed all that, I I had to change. I changed one of them to say error, and all the other ones said type error, and that's the only thing mm-hmm. I changed. And the, the one that said error passed, all the type error ones went, I'm not going to play with you. So I was uh, not I able think, to call type error.
1: I think that's because the throws statement inside the actual API throws an error, not a type error.
0: Mm, no, it says type error.
1: Maybe I misspelled type error. That would <laughs> that would certainly do it or miscapitalize it. But yeah. every, every error is... a Basically, every error has the prototype error, even if it also has another prototype, like type errors. All errors are errors. I thought it would work.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So then we just basically have more of what you'd expect, right? A.throws if you try math.py, a dot throws if we tie minus one, a dot throws if we try twenty-four, and then finally we get to do an a.ok, okay, which I really love saying. So <laughs> a dot okay, and we set it to zero and it goes, constructor allows errors to be zero, which is the minimum valid value, and then we have an a dot ok for twenty-three and so forth. You just like saying a okay? I like that, yeah. It makes me smile. <laughs> So then we followed our, our our pattern, right? Make sure that all the basic types, except for number and undefined throw, check the various different permutations of number, and then finally make sure that the valid values really do get through with right. A that OK. And so you will find that basic structure for hours, minutes, seconds, and then again in the other prototypes.
0: Wow. So you even did like uh, February 29th and all that,
1: huh? Oh, yeah. Actually, to be honest, dot time was a much, 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 much easier prototype to I do didn't your test.
0: think about looking at day, date.
1: <laughs> dot date, the code is about twice as long, and it's all because of February. Yeah. <laughs> all February's fault. Everything it's is February's fault. It's Julius fair. Caesar. Julius Caesar did it all when he wrote the Julian date calendar system all those years ago. No, sorry, no, Jude, no, sorry, Caesar got it wrong. It was Gregory, whoever the hell he was, Pope Gregory the something to give us the Gregorian calendar. It's his fault.
0: Okay. Anyway, All right, we're going to have to move on, Bart.
1: We are absolutely going to move on. So the next thing I want to tell you about is a new assertion we haven't come across before. So we learned about .dot .ok .dot throws .dot equal .dot exact or .dot strict equal .dot not equal .dot not strict equal. Well, there's another one .dot prop equal. Hmm. And where we need it is in testing our clone. Uh, So what is a clone? Well, a clone should have three properties, three defining characteristics of cloniness. So first off, the clone absolutely positively must not just be a reference to the original object. That's not a clone. That's the exact definition of not being a clone, is that you're a reference to the original object.
0: I remember that.
1: Which in reality, what that means is that double equals and triple equals should return false when you compare the clone to its original or the original Mm -hmm. to its clone. The second thing is that every single value inside the clone should be the same as inside the original. So if the original had hours, four, minutes, two, seconds, one, then the clone should have hours, four, minutes, two, seconds, one. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is that the clone should have the same prototype as the original. So if the original was a PBS.time, then the clone should be a PBS.time. Right. So So we already know how to check for equality with dot not equal. Equal and not strict equal, so we know how to do that. And we can check a prototype using okay and the uh, instance of um, operator. What we have no real easy way to do is compare every single property. We could do it really laboriously by checking how many properties exist and then writing a .equals for every separate property one by one, but that would be very annoying. Thankfully, prop equal does it all for us in one step. Hmm. So prop equal expects to be given uh, one object, which is the expected another object, which is sorry, one object, which is the original value to check against another object, which is the one you're going to check two objects. You're going to give it two (laughs) objects and Mm -hmm. if they should be the same as uh, sorry, the properties within them should be the same. So if one has a property named hours, the other one should also have a property named hours and they should have the same value. So it just basically goes through and it says: so you have a dot underscore minutes, and you have a dot underscore minutes, and they both have the same value. And you have a dot underscore hours, and you have a dot underscore hours, and you have the same value. And you have a dot underscore seconds, and you have a dot underscore seconds, and they have the same value. And if either the list of properties that exist is different, so if one of them has hours, minutes, and seconds, and the other one has hours and minutes, that would cause an error. That would say no. And if one of them has a different value, then that would also give say no. So basically, it just checks that they're the same.
0: Does it make sure it's not a reference to the original object?
1: No. So we've got to do that separately. It's okay. just going to check each property one by one. So okay. prop equals. Properties are equal. Okay. That's how you should read it. So our actual test for cloning contains three assertions. So it's only eight lines, which is quite pleasant. So it's here in the show notes. So qunit.test cloning works. <laughs> function a. A.expect three var to which is time original in my brain equals new pbs.time twenty comma ten comma five. So twenty hours ten minutes five seconds. Var tc equals to.clone. clone. In other words time clone is time original dot clone. So to test our first property of clonedness I say a dot not equal to comma tc. And then the English description is clone is a true clone, not merely a reference.
0: So uh, to remind myself, not equal is the same as not
1: double equal. And it's the same as exclamation point equal sign.
0: Oh, just exclamation point equal.
1: OK. Yeah. And wait, not strict equal. Wait, 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 No, equal. One equal sign is becomes. No, no. no. OK. But exclamation point one equal sign is not equal. Pastor. Yeah. Ah, right. Sorry. There's two of yeah, them, okay. two of them, three of them, three of them. Right, so you have equals equals and exclamation point equals. Then oh, you have okay. equals 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 and exclamation point equals equals.
0: <sighs> okay.
1: <laughs> anyway, I didn't design JavaScript. Know, just was... Fine. Okay.
0: Our,
1: our second test then is for whether or not it has the right prototype, and it's just a dot TC instance of pbs.time. Okay. And it just says in English, clone has correct prototype. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is the one we've never seen before: a dot prop equal T O comma TC. In other words. Time original, time clone, all data properties the same in the original and clone. Cool. There you go. We have now tested our clone properly.
0: I sort of wish you'd done it in the same order as your 1, test, though.
1: That's a good point.
0: Because your prop equal is the same as every value stored in the clone is the same as that stored in the original
1: object. That's true. I just want to do the new one last. I should have put yeah. them in the other order. <laughs> okay. I was
0: trying to match them up going, I don't... oh, he just did a different order. Don't scare me like
1: that. Will you take a note of that and I'll fix the show notes afterwards? Sure. Because you're right, that would be
0: better. (laughs) Now everybody's going to hear this going, wait, they are in order. They're not supposed to be.
1: What? Okay, so that's everything that I want to destroy your attention to in my solution for now. Now I want to teach you something new for today. So I want to teach you about callbacks and hooks. So QUnit allows you to specify some code that will be executed every time something happens. So there are six of these potential things that you can make something happen. QUnit.begin. This gets done every time QUnit starts, as in when you when the whole test suite starts is when begin happens. Hmm. There's a QUnit.done which happens when the whole test suite finishes. QUnit.module starts happens every time a module starts. QUnit.module done happens every time a module finishes. start happens every time a test starts. And done happens every time a test finishes. So the Does
0: that difference make sense? between a module and, and a test, is QUnit.test, is that a test or a module?
1: QUnit.test is a test, and QUnit.module is a module, right? So when you well, write should... QUnit.module, open bracket, whatever, that's when the QUnit module start would happen.
0: Yeah, you told us about modules, but I don't remember. Do modules contain
1: tests? Yes, a okay. module is a group of related tests.
0: Okay, got it. Okay, good.
1: Yes, so this that's the sense. hierarchy. So okay, test container. I don't know why you need this? Makes sense. Why it can be useful? Well, so I'm you've sure actually, you'll tell Yeah, <laughs> so the most common use of it is if you were writing some sort of log system where you wanted to just automatically log every time your test suite was run. So you, let's say you wanted to write a log file somewhere of all the results of your tests, You could use these event hooks to quickly catch it. If you want to see this in action, by the way, you can copy and paste the code there from lines 1 to 18 into an existing test suite and hit run. And then an alert will be fired every single time one of these events happens. You will get a lot of pop-ups, hmm. but it will show you what's happening. So you'll see the starting test suite pop up exactly once and then for every single time it starts a module or a test, you get a pop-up saying, I'm starting a module, I'm starting a test, I'm finished the module, I'm finished the test. You get a lot of pop-ups, but it will illustrate the point very clearly. And Maybe do that on a small test suite. (laughs)
0: Like the ones I wrote.
1: Yeah. However, we have already seen one of, or rather, my sample code contains one of these. Test start. So dummy underscore data could get messed with by one of our tests. And if one of our tests accidentally broke dummy.data, then all other tests would have bad dummy data in them, which would give you a sort of a really hard to track down, spooky at a distance, make, your hair, make you pull your hair out kind of yeah. bug. Yeah. So what my code actually does is it recreates dummy data and dummy basic types every single time a test starts. And it does so by putting it inside queunit.teststart. start. So if you look at my sample, my JS file, you will see that the var is outside of QUnit.testStart, But actually the code that defines dummy data and that defines dummy data types is inside QUnit.testStart. Yes. Which means it happens every time a test begins. So as soon as this test starts, all those variables get recreated from scratch and then the test starts. Hmm. So so that code happens a lot, but which is arguably wasteful of c p. u on the other hand, it means that my test suite is really robust, which it's is pure. not a waste of any it's exactly, and therefore it's actually worth doing now, what you do with dot test start it doesn't matter what test it is, the exact same thing happens before every single test with test start right so it's one function that happens the identical thing happens for every test. does that make sense mm mm-hmm. So maybe sometimes you want different things to happen, depending on different tests, and you don't get to do that per test, but you can do that per module. So modules are groups of related tests, and that's the granularity you get to go to. So within each module, you can define four different, what are called in QUnit documentation hooks. Before, after, before each, and after each. Before happens at the start of the module, after happens at the end of the module before each happens before each test inside the module and after each happens after each test inside the module so again if you want to see this in action there is sample code that will make lots of pop-ups happen Um, i'm not sure you actually want to do that so if you remember to last week's code qunit.module took three arguments it took an english description of the module and then we passed it a completely empty object, which is open squarely bracket, close squarely bracket. And then we passed it the actual code to do the tests as an anonymous function. Well, the second argument that we left completely blank last time, that's where you put these. So before, after, before each and after each.
0: It is a little bit mean that they have before and after and then on, there's
1: begin and done. I know. Why wasn't that consistent? Yeah okay
0: I don't you didn't know. write that either.
1: <laughs> I didn't write that either, so I have an example from my pbs.time tests to show you before in action hmm. so the functions for make for turning dates and times into different types of strings, so the time in twelve hour format and the time in twenty four hour format and the basic two string function they all require you to have a collection of sample times that you then want to make sure they get printed out in the correct pretty way. And I was just fed up of copying and pasting the same far tn equals new pbs.time blah 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 blah. So I used a before to create some sample variables and then I tested them in the test for two string and the test in time 12 and the test in time 24. Oh, I forgot to tell you something really important. Inside your before, after, before each, and after each, the magic variable this has been arranged by QUnit to be the same magic variable this that will be available inside each of your actual tests. So if in my before I say this.tmn equals new PBS.time000, when I say this.tmn inside my test, it's the same object.
0: You know what a fan I am of this.
1: (laughs) I know. However, Uh, it does not
0: make sense, though.
1: Exactly. So on line eight, we create a variable called this.tmn. And then on line 18, we use it. And then we use the same one again on line 27. And then we do the same one again on line 36. Okay. Okay. So basically, that made my life a lot easier. Create the variables once and then use them repeatedly throughout the module. Yeah. So there we go. So that's, that's everything apart from one more thing, which is how do we make this work on a web page? Uh-huh. Which is the last thing we're going to look at today. Right. So last week I mentioned the fixture. And you didn't really understand that. And I went, don't worry about it. That's for next week.
0: Don't worry. you're Well, we've now arrived
1: next week. <laughs> okay. So the fixture is not actually anything very complicated. So it is a rule that you must create an, an HTML tag on a... QUnit web page that has the ID QUnit minus fixture. So in our case, we've just used a div. So we say div ID equals QUnit minus fixture. What, what QUnit does is the moment the page loads, it takes a copy of that div and it saves it somewhere that's not on the page anymore. It basically copies it into a parallel universe. And then before every test, it clones it from the parallel universe back into the page, runs the test, and then removes it and replaces it with a new clone of the one it saved in the parallel universe. So what that means in reality is that every single time a test starts, the fixture is exactly the way it was the instant the page loaded. So if you write some HTML inside that div, that HTML will be there again at the start of every test. So you could write a test to see if your function successfully completely deletes every single tag inside the fixture. Fine, because the next test, it'll be right back the way it was originally.
0: Um, uh, I I feel like a dog holding onto its tail, going in circles here. So mm-hmm. Q unit dash uh, minus fixture is mm-hmm. creating a replicant of itself and then re- putting itself back yeah, after it's however a, it's been
1: messed with. Rep- Q unit da- dash fixture. Sir, Q-unit you started fixture answering with... while
0: I was still talking, so I didn't hear your answer at
1: all. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, No, I've stomped on you like 86 times, so I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I didn't hear it. So QUnit-Fixture creates a replicant of
1: itself and then puts itself back after everything's run? No, QUnit-Fixture is just some HTML. The QUnit JavaScript code takes a copy of the piece of HTML, QUnit-Fixture, and replaces it with a copy of its original self after every test. So it's not replacing itself. QUnit replaces that particular piece of the web page. Okay, but what is it? What is this it's thing? That's can... It's just an HTML tag. It could be, you could put anything in there you like. All The point is, every time a new test runs, it will be just the way you left it. So we're going to see it in action, and then I'm hoping it will go, ah. Okay. So that's I will okay. definitely
0: hold my breath and keep waiting, no problem.
1: Don't do. so. Okay. We're going to write some tests for another piece of JavaScript we wrote together many moons ago. Remember, we wrote the code for putting in the rel equals no opener, and we called it Toolkit. Yes. So there is a link in the show notes because I published that onto, uh, onto uh, GitHub, actually. So there's a link in the show notes to the GitHub page for this code. And I've put a copy of the code into the zip file for this installment. So that code's entire reason for existing is to alter HTML. It looks for links that have a target of underscore blank and then adds in a rel equals no opener. So we're taking HTML and changing it. That's the whole point of this code. So how do we test that? That's what so let's build it up together. Okay. So, so let's start as if we're doing nothing different to last time. We're going to make a new file called index.html. I'm going to put it in a folder called test. We're going to suck in the unit CSS file. We're going to suck in the jQuery uh, uh, JavaScript file from their CDN. We're going to suck in, in this case, we need to suck in URI.js because the um, Bartificer.link toolkit says, I require URI.js. So that we're doing because Bartificer.link toolkit says you must. Uh, then we're loading in the code we're testing, which is Bartificer.link toolkit.js. Uh, My head is some- spinning. You've just listed eighty-six files, and I don't know. Okay, but this uh, compare this to your index.html we did last week, and it's almost identical.
0: Okay, I, I, you just listed off a bunch of file names. That's what I, I heard. I heard file name, file name, file name, file name. But I don't know what we're doing with it or what what's happening.
1: Okay, so this is our test runner. So our test runner must contain jQuery. Our test runner must contain QUnit. And our test runner must contain the code we are testing. Okay. That's all, that's all we've done.
0: Okay. It was only three files you said? It sounded like seven. Okay.
1: Well, no, because w- w- the code we're testing is split over a couple of files because it needs URI.js. So we've got to suck that in too. QUnit is split over two files. So we've got to suck in a CSS and a JS file. But that's not different to last time. Okay. <laughs> and, and then finally, we're sucking in tests.js, which is where we're going to put our tests. And right now, that's a completely empty file. So, at this point, we have a very short index.html which runs zero tests, and all of those zero tests pass.
0: Am, am I <laughs> looking at something?
1: In the show notes, it says. Where, give me some words
0: to look at because I'm just scrolling up and down here.
1: Uh, so, it's using the fixture to test DOM manipulating code is the heading for the section. And then the first code sample is our index.html that we're going to use as our starting point. Okay. It has 34 lines.
0: Okay. I'm looking at that now, and I see now I see where you're calling the files. Okay.
1: So you can pop that into, you know, pop that into your browser or whatever, and it'll just work. won't be very exciting, but it will do zero tests. Now, this whole thing, this uh, link toolkit, it's all about whether or not a link goes to a link inside your website or a link to another foreign website. Right. So that means that in order to test it we have to have some sort of baseline of what what is our current website and so I have said I'm just simply saying I am declaring as the programmer this test suite will only work if you use it on localhost Okay and now we know that localhost is the current web page So I've just simply declared that fact this test suite is designed to work from localhost Now I can say that But that's probably going to cause a lot of confusion. So how's about we make the code tell you when you do it wrong? So remember, qunit.begin is run once when the test starts. So I'm just adding a qunit.begin that says, if the current page's URL isn't on localhost, window.alert warning, this test suite is designed to be run from the domain localhost, but it is currently running from the domain something else. Results will not be accurate. Okay. So all I have done here is use qunit.begin to warn people if they do it wrong. So I have simply said, you must do this from localhost. If you don't do it from localhost, you will get a pop-up that says, you must do this from localhost. And because it's qunit.begin, it will happen exactly once when the test suite starts.
0: Okay. And we're we're in the file, in the test file now, where we're talking.
1: We're in test.js, yes. Okay. Okay. So 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 far, that's the entire content of test.js, and you can verify this works if you open this file in your browser by just double clicking on it. It will have a URL file colon slash slash, and it will have no domain name. It will what? give if you If I open top... the
0: test.js file in a browser,
1: no. If you open index.html, ah, you said this file. directly in Safari. Okay. Sorry, this test suite, this test runner. It will say, oh no 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 no, this can't you can't do okay. this. Okay. And then if you open the identically the same file by putting it into your web server and then going to localhost forward slash name of file, it'll work fine.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: We're we're only doing that because in order for these tests to work, how can I possibly test that this is correctly determining what link is local and what link isn't local if I don't know what local is? So I'm just basically...
0: I'm just confused because I opened index.html in my web browser and it's pointing to my local drive inside the localhost folder and yet it says I'm not in, lo- in localhost. Right. Look at the URL. Does URL. the URL say
1: localhost? The URL says file, file colon, colon slash, slash
0: slash. So that's not no localhost. Okay.
1: No localhost there, right? That is not on the domain localhost. The URL does not contain localhost.
0: Okay. I understand conceptually.
1: Okay. If you open a file, it's not the same as looking at it through the web server. Okay. It's, it's okay. Back to the internet.
0: Even though I'm opening it into the web browser, that's two different things. Not through localhost. Got you.
1: Yeah. The URL is is not a local host URL.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay.
1: And if you do open it the right way, it won't give you that error. So yeah, now we know. It runs all
0: the For tests, sure. so I can't
1: see what it is. Yeah, exactly. Which is perfect. It's what it should do, right?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So that's the whole purpose of this pre-flight check. So we now know while we're writing our test that localhost is the current website. And so if I want to check that a certain link goes to the current website, behaves in a certain way, then a link to localhost should do a certain thing.
0: And the, what I'm saying? This is only, you would never do this on your real website.
1: Well, in this case, we have no, right. This is a test suite for our API. So the test suite is only for testing our code. It's not part of the final code we give to people. Ah, good
0: point. Okay, now I got you.
1: Okay. So we're going to start off with a really, really basic test. qunit.test, namespace exists, right? A.strictly. I know this one. <laughs> exactly. So let's, let's not waste our time. So the single most important function within this entire API is barteficer.linktoolkit.islocalURL. And it will expect as an argument a URL. And it will say, yes, this is local. No, this is not local. True or false. So we can actually do this without learning anything new. And so I have it here in the show notes and you can scroll through it and see that all I do is a.equal, 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 equal. In fact, we don't use a single assertion other than a.equal. So nothing new here. Are we happy with that?
0: Yeah, I don't understand why you're testing for 42 in a URL.
1: Well, because that is a perfectly valid URL. The number, you can say potfee.com forward slash 42 and that should be accepted as a relative URL to a file named 42, which should be considered local.
0: Why don't you just take the beginning part, everything before the dot?
1: Why do you test out uh, things No, 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 no. This 42, without anything else, is a valid URL. No, it isn't. In a link, 42 is a valid relative URL. It means the file named 42 in the current folder. Just like the empty string is a valid but that's, relative that's URL. That's after
0: the .com or .ie. No, 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 okay, no, no. But a relative URL.
1: Okay, you can say a href equals forty two. That is a valid relative URL. It means the file forty two on the current, in the same folder as the current web page I'm currently on. Right. You don't have to put the HTTP into a URL. Right. You can say a href equals index.html. Or a href equals dot dot slash index.html or a href equals boogers.html. They're relative URLs. Yes,
0: I have never knew that <laughs> <laughs> dot dot slash. Yeah, but the other ones I can't even imagine typing forty two into a URL
1: bar. It's an odd one, but no, you wouldn't type it into a URL or You put it into an a href equals. Okay. You, would, you you could use it in a link. If you had a file named forty two in the same folder, you could link to it with just a href equals forty two. Okay. It's an odd URL. You've, if I you've admit it's Like odd...
0: nine thousand of these tests that I would never even. I'm. I, I don't under, I. <laughs> I have no words to explain how confusing that is to me that these things even exist. because there's, there's so many of them.
1: Question mark a equals b. How right? What URLs? A question mark. That's the query string part of URL. That's completely valid. Yeah, but a equals b. That
0: sounds really specific.
1: Well, I got to test it. I I can't just. I could put boogers equals snot. It just seemed a equals b is just less typing. Well, I don't know why it's a equals b. I
0: don't know why it'd be boogers. I I don't know anything about what this is doing. I mean, it's testing something. Uh, okay.
1: like- uh, I would say go to Wikipedia, read the definition of a URL. All this is is just all of these are valid URLs. And I'm just making sure that, they, that the function treats them like it should. Okay, so, so what B's does this arbitrary. function do
0: when it tests each one of these?
1: Walk me through. Okay, a so equals. Is, is local URL. So in other words, is question mark A equals B a local URL? Well, if, if I have angle bracket A space href equals quote question mark A equals B quote close angle bracket. Is that a link? inside my website ie local or is that a link to a different website okay well it's a relative I'm url astonished it has to be this hard Are you, okay you could leave out some of these tests and you would still have a good test suite it would just not be a complete it's test complete suite. okay but see if i didn't put these in i'd had an email from jill <laughs> Yes, you would, and I'm sure you still will. <laughs> but okay, I still will. So the more interesting tests start to come in from line 18 on. They're the ones you're going to start recognizing slash slash a that html dot slash a that html dot dot slash a that html http colon slash localhost http colon slash localhost slash a dot html.
0: Okay, let's not read
1: them. B dot ie. Right. FTP colon slash slash, that's a valid URL too. And then we get down to the stuff that really isn't a URL at all. The URL false as a Boolean is absolutely not a valid URL. So that should always give you back false as an answer. The URL array one comma two, that's definitely not a valid URL. So always give false on that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the key point is we're just using dot equal here, which you've seen a million times before. So we haven't had to do anything we don't know yet. And these dot equals are returning what true? Well, these dot equals are basically saying yeah. The, the, these dot unless equals unless you say
0: false. Oh no, they well, do not... say true right in them. Okay, I see it now. Yeah,
1: okay, so is local URL comma true actual comma expected comma English description actual okay. comma expected comma English description. Gotcha. Okay. So the next thing that we want to test is the function. Uh, Ugh, find my own code. I think it's line
0: 34, the
1: subdomain's local. Oh, so the next thing we want to test is the function bartificer.linktoolkit.noopenerfix. This function's job isn't simply to tell us, yeah, this is local, no, this isn't. This function's job is to actually stick rel equals noopener into an actual link on an actual web page. What line are you on? I'm in my English saying, next, let's try write some tests for the bartificer.linktoolkit.noopenerfix function. This function searches some or all of an HTML document for links or new URLs. We're not on any code. I'm, I'm talking English. Okay. So the, 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 there is a function named noOpenerFix that is part of this API, and we now need to write tests to make sure that noOpenerFix actually does what it says on the tin, right? Mm-hmm. What it says on the tin is we should find all links with underscore bl- target underscore blank and add rel equals noOpener to those functions. Right. Okay. Does this function actually do that? To test that, what we need is links. We need actual a href equals. Where do we put those? That's what the fixture's for.
0: And um, can you give me a line number where I can see a fixture? Because I, I believe you. Okay,
1: so keep scrolling down where you see the little HTML snippet, but div id equals qunit fixture, and then you just have a list of a hrefs. Or you can look in, in the finished index.html inside the zip file where you will see it says div okay. id fixture. And then it contains a ul with a bunch of li's, and every single li is a link ahref equals a.html. ahref equals localhost slash a.html. Basically, there are lots of links.
0: And those are a fixture.
1: They're inside div id equals q unit minus fixture. So they are the fixture. Okay, They're just
0: HTML. So They're now I see I see HTML, and I see that it's called QUnit dash fixture. Now tell me what it
1: does. Okay, so every single time a test is run, that HTML will be exactly like that. So you can now call your function, which is supposed to change this HTML so that it gets target equal or rel equals no opener, and then you can test that it actually uh, before did. it finishes, because
0: once it yeah. finishes, it reloads this. Okay. Yeah. I thought we were doing this is- all on localhost, though. We are doing it all on localhost. But you're talking about podfeet.com and Bartb.ie now in this HTML. Okay,
1: because, yeah, because the file on local, okay, so you're supposed to have links on a web page, and if those links go to a different web page, then they're supposed to get the rel equals no opener, and if they go to the same web page, they're not. Ah. So podfeet.com is a different web page. Oh, so it will get a rel. Oh, no opener. Okay, It will get a rel. No opener. Good, then I did understand, the- okay. Whereas the link to localhost should not be altered. Yeah. Okay. The function should leave that alone. Okay. So we now I, I have written for you, as an example, the tests, the full set of tests for the function toolkit.noopenerfix. So the first thing it does, so we're putting all of those tests together into a module called noOpenerFix. So the very first test is very simple. QUnit.test function exists, comma function a, a strict equal type of Bartificial.link toolkit fix comma function, and then the English description has type function. In other words, the function exists and has a type of function. Okay, that's a very boring test. QUnit.test default options. Ah, now we're getting into it. Okay, so the first thing we do in this test is we call the function. On the fixture, so we say fix and then we pass it a jQuery object representing the fixture. So the fixture has the ID qunit-minus-fixture. So in jQuery speak, we call it pound sign qunit-minus-fixture. Is this ringing a vague bell from about yeah. ten weeks?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So we have now called the function on the fixture. The function is, according to the specification, supposed to look for every link inside that piece of HTML. If that link is to a web page that is not localhost, it should add a rel equals no opener. If that link is to localhost, it should do absolutely positively nothing. It should leave the link completely unchanged. Right, right. So we are going to use dot .equal on every single link in that fixture to make sure it has been treated appropriately. So the first link I gave inside the fixture, I gave it, so if you look on line three of the fixture, it says li ahref equals a.html, id equals rl underscore nt underscore nr, and then a relative what link. What is all component.
0: that? rl underscore nt underscore nr.
1: I made it up. Orl is my mnemonic for relative link. Nt means it has no target, and nor means it has no rel. Okay. I made it so it's just ahf equals a. Okay, I was afraid I was
0: supposed to know what that meant. Okay,
1: good. <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> all right. The next one is exactly the same, when it says target equals underscore blank. So I gave it the id TB nor. So relative link target of blank, no rel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So there are just lots of links, and I've given them all a unique name. What name I chose is irrelevant. I just got to go through and make sure that every link was either edited or not edited according to the specification. And you're pulling it with the ID. I'm pulling it with the ID. Okay. So the first link, so links without a target should be ignored. In other words, they should not have a rel attribute added. So I am saying a.equal sign parent sign orl, nt, and or LNT and there was the first link dot at a rel should be undefined. It should not have had a rel atter added to it. And then in English, it says no rel added to relative link without a target. Hmm. So we are checking that that link was not changed.
0: Okay, and we so we're saying next. this this uh, this ID of a, of a link that didn't have a, a uh, target An underscore attribute. equals blank. It didn't have a target underscore. Uh, mm-hmm. We're saying that it's a relative link, therefore it should return it undefined.
1: Right. So in other words, it should we should not have changes so that it suddenly develops an at, an attribute named rel.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So when we try to get the rel, it should not exist, so it should be undefined. And then we have our English: no rel added to the rel, to a relative link without a target. And then you can read the English again: so no rel added to an absolute link to localhost without a target it shouldn't have messed with that one either. Mm -hmm. No rel added to an absolute link to a subdomain of localhost without a target. Uh, No rel added to an absolute link to an external domain without a target. Then we say make sure that local links with a target are also ignored. So no rel added to a relative link with a target. And then we get to make sure external links with a target, basically the English is there all the way. What this is, is a whole bunch of dot equal. Every single link should have been either edited or not edited, depending on what the documentation says the function does. Right, right. And that's all we're doing here. And then we have a whole separate test to test the ignore local links equals false option. So the documentation says that you can optionally say to ignore local links or not. So then we test if the function behaves the way it was told to with that option. And then we test every other option. So the documentation says what the function should do. And we have one test for everything the documentation says it should do. Oh, cool. So and then when it's done, is,
0: that, that, that fixture gets rewritten back to the original.
1: Yes. After every single test, that function gets rewritten. Huh. So our sample code here contains one, two... Bunch of tests. Three, four... Five tests, so that was rewritten five times. Hmm. But only after the test, not after the assertion. Okay. Right? right. So one test contains many assertions. Right, right, right. So it's right. not messed with between assertions, it's messed with between tests. Hmm. Okay. And that's that's all there is to it. In that this is case, actually all there it is.
0: wouldn't have changed anything, but you're just making sure.
1: Right. Well, the first that test... that would have been the smelly bug. It. Uh, okay, well, on line 11, we say bartificer.linktoolkit.noopenerfix. That will have changed the content of the fixture. There will be rails added to some of those links. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, got it. And got that it. change stays in place until the end of that test, which is on line 91.
0: Yeah, yeah, I got it. So and you then do, on line, you, line do the, stays- you do the change, then you do the assertions, then you reset it, do a new change.
1: Bingo. So on line 93, everything's back to the way it was originally. Then on line 95, we go and change everything again. Then we do some assertions and on line 108, everything gets put back the way it was. Then on line 110, we have a fresh copy. We change it again and then we do some tests and then we put it back the way it was. And then Mm -hmm. on line 128, you get the idea.
0: Yeah.
1: You mess with it. You check that the messing was as you wanted. Did the right thing get changed? Did the right thing not get changed that shouldn't have been changed? And then you reset you change, you call your function again to muck with it, and then you make sure the mucking with was correct. Is it should it have changed this link? Should it have added in whatever? Should it have done whatever it should do? Did it behave itself? Yep. Cool. So, your assignment: if you go to the to the, to the GitHub page for bartificer.link Toolkit, you will see that it actually contains. More functions than we've tested. We tested no opener fix, and we tested um, is local URL. It also contains mark external, externalize, also externalize. Don't worry about debug; you can leave that one out. So, I'd like you to write tests for at least one of those. Pick at least one. If you're feeling energetic, do two. And if you're feeling really energetic, do them all. I will be doing them all.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay.
1: That now, like use fun.
0: the documentation.
1: Use the documentation as your starting point, right? The documentation tells you what should happen, so write your tests so that they check that the documentation is correct. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Yep. Okay, so as I say, pick one, try to write the test for it. And then I will have a sample solution for you next time. Great, great. All right, you've got final thoughts here in the show notes. I do have final thoughts. So This is it, right? We have now learned, I have now told you everything I'm going to tell you about QUnit, and from now on, it's just practice. So you're going to practice here, I'm going to give you a sample solution, and then forever more in this series, every time we write JavaScript, we're going to be using QUnit to test it. Either I'm going to give you some tests, or I'm going to ask you to write some tests, or probably a mixture of both. But from now on, whenever we're practicing our JavaScript, we're going to be practicing our QUnit as well. Cool. So we need a new project, right? <laughs> we spent weeks doing date and time. And then we learned a lot, I think, doing that. But we need a new project. And one of the features I, I want this new project to have is that when the new project is finished, we're going to have rejoined our two parallel trains of thought. So I'm still teaching you about HTML forms and we're practicing our JavaScript. Well, I want to finish teaching you about HTML forms at the point that we start to use HTML forms in our practice JavaScript, so that we're going to start to write web apps. Web apps have buttons, web apps have dropdowns, web apps have text fields, right? When you're on Gmail, there's all these things. When you're on any web app, you have a web form. So I want the two to meet up, and I want us to do a project so that we're actually achieving, we're striving towards an output. And I was listening to Security Now and they mentioned a really fun piece of computer science theory called Conway's Game of Life. This is unbelievably important to our understanding of an area of science that absolutely fascinates me. It's called complexity theory. And it is, oh, it is so cool. Uh, So Conway's Game of Life is really simple rules. And instead of doing what you expect the universe to do when you give it really simple rules, it results in really complex behavior. That's not supposed to happen in our understanding of the world. If I give you something simple, it should do something simple. Instead, with Conway's Game of Life, you have a really simple input, and the output is like immensely complex. Hmm. And that's why it's cool. And that's where complexity theory comes in. So we're just going to be able to play with Conway's Game of Life, and that's the output. And it will be fun, even if you never understand any more about it than that. However, if you want to understand why I love Conway's Game of Life, then I would suggest that you read two books, and these two books are just fun. So these books are written as a narrative. They're written as a story. You basically follow some scientists who are doing their normal run of life, and they have a what the moment. They think about it. They try some things, and out pops two amazingly cool parts of science, chaos theory and complexity theory. And actually, chaos and complexity are completely related to each other. We discovered chaos first, and then we discovered complexity.
0: I was going to say it smelled like chaos theory in there. Maybe I'll read the science fiction one.
1: <laughs> no, 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 they're, they're they're not science fiction. They're both science. But they're, they're both... Uh, it says it's a science fiction book.
0: What? Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You're right. Non-fiction book. I thought it said yeah. science fiction.
1: So chaos, basically, chaos theory is the first thing we discovered. Fractals and all those cool things. Mm-hmm. And then we thought we had chaotic systems and normal systems. And then someone went, yeah, but how do you go from chaos to normal? What happens at the boundary? And then we discovered an entire branch of science hidden in the boundary, which is complexity theory. And Conway's Game of Life is a perfect example of complexity. So these two books will tell you the story. And it, they're really fun. Like Oppenheimer is a weirdo, but he's cool. <laughs> right.
0: So are, they, are these required reading or no. it just would make it more
1: fun if you read him? entirely 100% optional extras but I what they will give you is the context of Conway's Game of Life they won't they won't you know you don't need to know the context to program it up and to play with it but they will make it so much more fun because you'll know why this exists and what this means okay and plus the fact these are my two favorite books in all of science (laughs) maybe I'll
0: make Steve read it we'll see
1: (laughs) Uh, the, the James Gleick one, the Chaos one, is available as an audiobook, so you can listen to it while you're out running or whatever. And if you like the Chaos one, then you will like Complexity. If you don't like Chaos, you won't like Complexity. Okay. And Chaos is, chaos is the start of the story. Complexity is the second half of the story. So they're perfectly in that order. So Start With Chaos is the easiest book to get. If you like it, keep reading on to Complexity. If you don't, oh well. It <laughs> doesn't make any difference. You can still play along with the JavaScript. You'll still have fun with the JavaScript. you still learn JavaScript. You just won't enjoy this bit. But I adore chaos theory and complexity theory. So I couldn't not share. I just couldn't talk about these topics without sharing. This is excellent. I love it. Okay. I think we may have gone on quite long. Oh, but not hey. too bad. Not it's too
0: bad.
1: Okay. Worse. <laughs> yeah, my, 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 my throat is slightly sore, so that tells me that it's been enough podcasting for one weekend. <laughs> <you go>. So <laughs> I'm trying to remember what my outro is on this one.
0: Until then, nope, happy computing?
1: Not, that must be it, because I am going to say it's certainly not uh, happy snapping, because that's a completely different podcast. <laughs> Until next time, happy computing.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback. So please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfee.com slash Facebook and our community at podfee.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.